while I get myself straight here. <clears throat> Last week I mentioned as we began that, whoa, sorry. You know, we all bring our joys and our sorrows with us. And uh, that's part of the blessing of being a, in a church this size, that we can encourage each other and help each other and rejoice with each other. Uh, I find today that it's, uh, it's, it, you can bring joys and sorrows at the same time. Uh, we found out last night, about 10 o'clock last night, that one of Julia's uh, sisters lost her husband you know, suddenly. Uh, he was in his mid-50s. And so in the midst of uh, some sadness there, there was also great joy. My, I have some family members here, my little brother. I think last time I was talking, they were here, I used uh, trying to explain a little word, and I called Becky Beck Beck or something like that. <laughs> Glad to hear my nephew um, and his girlfriend are here. He's going to Freed Hardman right now. We had a great day yesterday. We began our day uh, building a Lovo. It's a big earth oven to celebrate uh, Darren's becoming an American citizen. We had a Fijian feast. <laughs> we dug an earth oven and cooked uh, food in the earth oven and then shared it over at my parents' place. And uh, several folks from the congregation were invited and they came over. So we just had a backyard full of people. So it was a lot of joy there and a lot of sadness at the same time. And so we're, we're blessed to be able to be in a congregation where we can just be ourselves. You know, I want to start looking at this passage in 1 John 4.13. I really appreciate the introduction of 1 John. I'm very tempted to go back to chapter 1, verse 1, <laughs> because Ed reminded me of what that passage said, but we won't go that far back. It's amazing. Well, actually, we will in a sense, because John continues to repeat himself and, and, and expands, and we'll see a little bit of that in a minute. But I want to ask this question. How far away is God? When you think about God, how far away is He? You know, have you ever experienced the feeling that you pray and your prayers go up about as high as the roof? They just kind of stop at that point. You're only maybe talking into the air. Uh, you prayed and there just didn't seem to be an answer to your prayers. You walk through life and you try and do the right thing and it just seems like there's some, always some kind of wall that you bump up against trying to prevent you from doing God's will or really finding out what God's will is. And you struggle with doubt. Uh, sometimes you doubt whether God cares or maybe if God is even able to do anything or perhaps does He exist? And everyone, and I, I say that Almost everyone. I'm sure there's some people who never struggle with those things. But I'm, I'm part of the struggling group where I've had those struggles in my life and say, you know, what, what is going on in my life? Where, where is God in my life right now? And so last week we looked at, and it's tie, all tied together here, this craving that we have for certainty, just wanting to be sure. How can I know God's love? And how can I be sure that I'm saved? And John gives us a very simple answer, and he says this certainty is not found in a visible manifestation. It's not a miraculous happening in your life. 
but it's actually found, this assurance of God's love and the assurance of your salvation, when you begin to respond in God's love, when you begin to act out love in your life. When we doubt, when we struggle, when we wonder about our faith, John's simple answer is this. Put into practice God's love. And there, God's purpose in your life will be accomplished. That, that of living out of your life in love. And confirmation will occur when you do that. We just sang a song. Uh, one, of the, one of the lines was, You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. You give the healing and grace. What is that healing? Not a miraculous healing. I believe that healing is a healing power of love in our lives. And when we love one another, and when we learn to work that love out in our lives, we will begin to get the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Now, we've been looking at a section, verse 7 through 12, and this 13 obviously goes right into this. Some people make a paragraph here, but this little section here that some have said has helped them change their lives. And I... And I got a postcard this week and I meant to bring in and read a, a line from it where one of the sisters said, I've been memorizing this and it's helped, and I don't remember the exact words, but it's, it's helped refine my heart. And so I want to encourage you to read often, if you don't memorize it, read often this passage, verse 7 through 12 especially. And let me reread it once again just to remind us what John has been saying. Chapter 4, verse 7, Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. If you've been with me and you've been listening, almost every phrase there is worth sitting down and thinking about, meditating on. It's just full of richness. And yet we've read, and I have, I've read over this so quickly in in the past that I just... I don't even hear what I'm saying. I don't even think about what I'm saying or reading. Clyde shared with us, he introduced this for us, I think, in a marvelous way. And he shared a song that was made popular by Dean Martin. This was back before I was born. That's a joke. I was very young. But the song says, you're nobody till somebody loves you. I know some of you don't even know who Dean Martin is, so look it up on YouTube. He's there. You're nobody till somebody cares. And then the last line, so find somebody to love. And I want to, and Clyde modified it, and here's kind of my modification. It doesn't go along with the tune, but it goes like this. You're nobody till somebody, capital S, till somebody loves you. Now somebody loves you. Somebody cares. So now you can find somebody to love. And that's the message of 1 John that God loves you, and now you're able to love other people. And that's the good part of the good news. That's part of the message 
the message was love one another. And he says, but the way you can do it, the reason you can do it is because God's love is within you. God loves you and God cares. And I've been trying to let John do the defining of this. There's, I've been tempted to go back to many, many other passages throughout the New Testament and bring them out. But I want John, and I, I may do that later on. I haven't decided yet. But I won't let, I've been trying to let John do uh, the defining of this word love. It's God love. I call it God love. It's sacrificial. It's treating others as they need to be treated for their good. 1 John 3.16 says, let me put that on the screen so I can read it. This is how we know what love is. This is how you know it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And I personally believe that means more than just his physical death. When he came, he was laying down his life. He lived his life laying it down for us. And so he laid down his life for us, ultimately, of course, on the cross. And then he continues in that uh, verse, and we ought to lay down our lives for our, for our brothers. It shows in our daily life. John is practical. He's not maybe as practical as, as Paul is in his writings, but he goes on in verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can God's love be in him? So we do it by acting out this love, doing things. We see someone's need, and we make those sacrificial decisions. Clyde continued to give us a good working definition of love. And his definition was giving of self to others for their good without expecting anything in return. And so when you look at that word love as you read through the Bible, don't think about a feeling. I have a loving feeling. That's a good song. Uh, you know, bring back that loving feeling. Uh, who, I don't know who sang that one. Was that Elvis Presley? <laughs> Someone way back there. No, Righteous Brothers. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Some of us old folks can remember that. But this is a giving of ourselves, expecting nothing in return, doing for the other person as they, as they, need, uh, as they need. Julia was reading through a book this past week, and she came to me with a couple of definitions that she read from, from a book. And, it, and these are good, good definitions also. One is love is a powerful force and energy to reclaim the potential good in another, even, listen, even at the risk of great sacrifice and loss. That's love. Even though I may lose and I may have to sacrifice, I'm trying to reclaim the potential good in another person. Do what that other person needs. Uh, serve that person the way they need to be served. And he goes on, this author goes on with a little bit longer one. Love is essentially a movement of grace. To embrace those who have sinned against us. It is the offer of restoration to those who have done harm for the purpose of destroying evil and enhancing life. I, am, I want to go back to First John. He talks about this is the purpose of Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan right there. Love can be defined as the free gift that voluntarily cancels the debt in order to free the debtor to become what he might be if he experiences the joy of restoration. And we could go on and on as we look at this marvelous word, this marvelous concept, this marvelous power in our lives called love. But further, to help us erase the doubt in our lives at times, to hold on to the confidence, to hold on to the assurance of salvation, everlasting relationship with God, 
In this verse that we're going to look at today, he gives us two anchors of encouragement. Look at verse 13. Let's read this together. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He says, in this we know. And again, and I'm sorry if I repeat myself, but John repeats himself. He says, in this we know. He stresses this knowing once again. And he says, there's, there's two things we're going to anchor our knowledge in today, in this one verse. And he, and he uses that word, know once again. This is not something we assume or we guess or we wish for. This is something we know. Thirty-seven times John uses this word. No, no, no. It must be important to him. He's trying to let us, we know certain things. And this meaning, this word know here means knowing by experience. We have experienced this. You know this because you've experienced it. The NIV leaves out two important words. And I'm not going to go into why I think they do or all that stuff. But some of your translations, and if you have a parallel translation or one of these little smartphones, you can look at the different translations. It uses two words right at the beginning. In this, or sometimes hereby or herein. Herein or by this we know. And those words are important because it re- it's referring to something. In this, the, the um, NIV is a little bit, bit, you know, well, what's he talking about here? But he says, in this we know. In what? And I think he's referring to verses 7 through 12. In this loving one another, that's the theme of verses 7 through 12. In the working out of loving one another, in the effort of loving one another, and let me say, in the uncomfortable nature of love. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. We're so used to the love songs that it's a wonderful thing that we forget that God love can sometimes be highly uncomfortable. The joy of it, the joy of this love, this will make us know. Loving one another is not always easy. It's a placing of the good of that person first at your own expense. Looking at the other person and saying, what does that person need from me? And that's a hard question to answer sometimes. This is the nature of the Christian life. What's the nature of the Christian life? When you become a Christian, what does that mean? Who we are, how we live out our, in our new t- uh, nature does not become, is not a miraculous thing in, in, a, in one sense. When you are buried in baptism and you rise to walk this new life, you do not instantly have knowledge of how to live. There's not a miracle that comes into your life that you go, wow, now I'm, I, I'm totally changed. I know what to do. I know how to live. Every letter in the New Testament was written to Christians to help them understand, number one, who they are. Over and over you read it. He tells you who you are, who you are, and who are you in the book of in, in 1 John? You are God's loved ones, the beloved. You're the little children, the technia, the betbeks, <laughs> the timmies. That's what you are. That's who you are. It's that little word that's just, that, that pulls you in in a loving way and say, you're my little child. That's who you are. And much, much more in Christ. And then how to live. The, these New Testament says, this is who you are and this is how you live because this, you're, a, you're the king's child now. You're children of the king, so this is how you're to live out your life. 
John sums it up in one word, love. And then he expands on this. He's trying to help us understand what, what it means. Glorious Christianity is far more than moral living and church going. When I was very, very young, I thought when I became a Christian, it meant I had to go to church every Sunday and do the right thing, kind of live a good life. It's far more than that. It's not being a religious person who spends a great deal of time reading my Bible and praying. Kind of had that concept, too, that a religious, you know, you become a Christian, you read your Bible, you carry around a big black Bible like this and read it a lot and pray a lot. That's a Christian. But the nature of the Christian life is there's a glorious relationship that you now have. You have an interconnected life between you and the creator of the universe. That's far more than Bible reading, prayer, prayer, just praying. That's far more than moral living. and includes all those things, of course. But it affects every waking moment of your life. There's no division of character. You don't go to work and you're one person and you go to church you're a different person. You're always the same person. And you live out that life because you're in a relationship with God. Let's look at the first anchor here. Mutual abiding. First anchor no, and mutual abiding. We live in him and he in us. And you sit there and you may think, well, haven't we heard this before? Yes. You've heard this word 18 times already in chapters 2 and 3. The Bible uses the word live, abide, walk, remain over and over in First John. He begins this summation of this word in verse 12, what we saw last week, and he continues to verse 16. Six more times he uses this word. Do you think it's important? I think it's important. He uses this, I've told you, no 37 times. It was 18 plus 6 is 24, right? Some of you guys take a calculator. No, it's 24. 24 times he's talking about this mutual, this abiding. Um. He wants to emphasize this. He wants to emphasize this relationship you have with him. And, and I, I thought about rewording this, but it's, I think it's accurate. It's non-Christian to think of God over there. It's not a biblical way of thinking. How far away is God? That's what I entitled the lesson. Do you think of God anywhere else than inside of you? If God is up in the heavens, up in the sky somewhere, or even in the next room, you have a wrong concept of his presence. If you have to invite him into your presence or he into your presence or whichever way, if you have to approach him in prayer, get forgiveness before he will be with you, then you have a weak concept of a mighty God in your relationship with him. Yes, he is over there, but he's right here at the same time. He's both. He's everywhere. But he's in you. And so John over and over says he lives within you. And we're not going to read every one, but let me just show you some of the ones that we looked at uh, before. The word live and remain here I've highlighted because that's that word that he uses, meaning that he abides in you. Whoever claims to live in him, verse 6 of chapter 2, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. This is, your, this is where you you, uh, you abide. The word of God lives in you, verse 14. Verse 24, he, you also will remain in the Son. The anointing you receive from him remains in you. And we could go, I could read 18 total that we haven't touched on, that we've touched on in the past. 
The word is so rich that I was tempted to read two pages of handwritten notes. I've been studying this word and looking at it in all different, you know, from people a whole lot smarter than me and writing down the, these notes. And I want to read the, these, but I thought that'd be a wonderful way to put a lot of people to sleep. So I won't do that. But to sum up those two pages of note, it says it means something like this. When we see this word live, to permanently reside, to take up residence, to stand fast in one place, it includes to maintain this stable and vital relationship. It means comfort. It's comfort. You're at home. It's practical. It's warm. It's a genuine relationship. And so one time I actually, in my paraphrase, paraphrased it, hunkering down. I don't know if that's a good word to you, but it's just snuggling, snuggling up would probably be a better word. Is that how you think of your relationship with God? Have you kicked off your shoes and you're relaxed and you're enjoying the company that you have with God? You know, Christianity isn't knowing about God, things about God, but it's a living relationship. It's about your life changing. It's not being comfortable that you, that you disregard Him or you don't revere Him. We're not talking about that. If you've been with me long enough, we're not talking about just God's your buddy type thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a relationship that you have with Him. It's a, being a participant in God life and God love. And everything that that means that we don't have time in one sermon to talk about. And we see this in the expansion of, that, we, that we see in 1 John. He says something, he expands on it, he says something, expands on it. This next one, and we're just going to uh, fly through this. Chapters 2, if you go back to chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 and read that. Read 3, verse 24, and then read verse 4 and 13 of, of uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 4. You'll find that verse 13 almost says the exact same thing as verse 24, chapter 3. But basically, just to show you how this expands, and you do your own study on it, he's showing in the first part, chapter 2, that to know God, you know God through the treasuring of His Word, through the loving of His Word, through, uh, through the desire to know His Word, which means obey it. Some of your translations will say obey. But if you don't treasure it, you're not going to obey it, not the way God wants you to. And this treasuring of his word leads to a maturity of God's love. So as you treasure his word and learn his, of his word, you will grow in your God love. Chapter 3, verse 24, the result of this is a mutual abiding. When you're in his word, when you're treasuring his word, when you're obeying his word, when you're acting out in God's love, there's this mutual abiding that goes on. The evidence shows in the spirit, which we'll talk about more in a minute. The result of that is you love one another. This mutual abiding and then maturity as we abide in him and as we practice this God love. All right, I just went through like six sermons or more in that little section there. But that's what John does. He just keeps on expanding there. As you grow in your grasp of the knowledge of this knowledge, your life changes. God's spirit lives in you. He's with you, in you, as you walk in your journey of power throughout your life, the power of God love. And then the second anchor, anchor that he talks about is his spirit working in our lives. He has given us his spirit, he says. Now, at this point, a lot of people start thinking mystically. You know, he said, let me just go back to this verse here. It says, because he has given uh, us of his spirit. 
And so people say, well, what in the world does that mean? And they begin to kind of think mystically. The, the, the spirit is mysterious. We cannot fully understand what that means. We can't fully comprehend it because it is God. God is spirit. And so we can never fully understand what he means, give of, of his spirit. But we can begin to understand through the scriptures here. People think this means a miraculous gift, being out of self-control, being controlled by the Spirit in such a way that we can't resist doing, saying, feeling something irresistible. Irresistible grace. I'm just walking along and I just get zapped. Right, that's what a lot of people think. It's an experience or a feeling that's emotionally charged. And they're seeking this, this gift of the Spirit, this evidence of the Spirit in their lives. And the problem with that is that's an exception to the rule rather than the rule. Read through the Bible. You'll find some times where some strange things happen. That's chapter 2. The rushing of a mighty wind. The people began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or the ability to do it. Acts chapter 10, we see the Gentiles having a similar experience, Gentile converts. There's a couple of rare cases in the Old Testament one that involved uh, King Saul, I believe, or his messengers. But what is the evidence for you and me as we go out throughout our lives? We're just, tomorrow is going to be a normal day, right? You go to work. Where is the spirit in that? Let me show you some things that First John. And we're going to go back to First John over and over. We're going to see that how John brings this out over and over. Here's the first thing. Is the Spirit in your life? Do you desire to do God's will? 1 John 2, 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Do you recognize this world is temporary? Of course we do. Do you seek to do His will? Are you concerned about the spiritual things and wanting to do what's right? That's evidence of the Spirit in you. I've had teenagers come up to me and say, how do I know God's will? You know what that is? That's evidence that the Spirit is working in their lives. They want to do what God's calling them to do. Number two, does sin disturb you? Chapter 2, verse 1, I write this so you will not sin. 3, verse 6 says, no one who lives in him, that's that word, remaining or abiding in him, keeps on sinning. Do you find yourself hurt and disappointed in yourself at your sins? Are you aware of your own weaknesses and wary of temptation? Do you feel the wretchedness of sin in your life and this deceitfulness? If you can say, yeah, there's times I feel that way. That's evidence of the Spirit working in your life. Number three, do you marvel at the love of God? Does this verse do something to you? Chapter 3, verse 1, I cannot read this verse. It's one of my favorite in the Bible without just getting a feeling. <laughs> Feelings are okay as long as you don't rely on them. But man, when I read this one, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Stick that on your mirror and look at it every morning. Man, do you marvel that, the God, marvel that the God of the universe says, you are my child, that I love you that much? That's who you are. Do you seek right living? These are all evidence of the Spirit in your life. 
chapter 3, verse 3 and 6 and 7 says, Anyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You're making these changes in your life. You want to live right. No one who lives, again, that's that word, abide. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Powerful verses that I spent a long time on. Wonderful things. I mean, I just want to live right. I don't always live right, but I want to. I seek to do it. I seek to purify myself. Are you growing in God love? Another evidence of the Spirit. And he says it negatively at first. And John has a habit of doing this. He'll state the positive in a positive way and a negative way. But in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him. Are you growing in God love? Or, are you just, or is your desire after the world and the things of the world? And I know that the vast majority here, their number one priority in life isn't the world. They know that that's a temporary thing. You know that it's, it's passing away. Love of the Father isn't in the people whose desire is for the world. And then in a positive way, he says, is loving your spiritual family. You're growing in God love, God love when he says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Are you growing in your love for one another? Further, are you growing your trust of him? This is one of the major things, again, in First John, love and trust. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning hunkers down in you, remains in you, snuggles up in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. It's your trust for the Father and for the Son growing. And are you growing in your confidence? Powerful verse here, verse 28. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. We're going to get to verse chapter 3, verse 18, which I wanted to skip to, but I resisted that temptation. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 18, that's connected to this. But are you growing your confidence before him? And notice I said in all these growth, growth, we don't do any of these perfectly. You don't sit there and say, I have arrived. It's like the stock market so far in our history. (laughs) We don't know what the future holds. But so far in our history, the stock market has grown over time. We have our ups, we have our downs. And this is a true with your Christian walk. It isn't always just a steady climb. You get better and better and better. But you're surprised at yourself sometimes that you think, I thought I matured past that and then I've messed up. And God works in you and you grow and you mature. And you have ups and downs in your life. Things happen in your life that set you back or blindside you. And you just keep on going, keep on growing. And all these, this is evidence. That the Spirit is at work in your life. When we think we know, we think we need absolute proof. We want to know by sight rather than by faith. But we shouldn't be surprised that we're called to live by faith. We do it all day long anyway. We live by faith in the physical realm also. 
When you put gas in your car, you live by faith. You don't know for physical certain that you're getting a gallon of gas. You don't know that for certain. You don't know for certain that whether that gas is pure, you know, what it's supposed to be. You don't know that for certain. I, I'm not seeing anyone sit there and they measure it out, gallon. Yeah, get a gallon poured in, measure another one. No one does any phys- uh, chemical analysis to make sure this is the right octane and whatever it is. I don't even know all that stuff. I just live by faith. Put the nozzle in the car, start filling it up. But it's based in experience, isn't it? It's based in understanding how these machines, a little bit of knowledge of how these machines work. You know that there's some kind of federal agency that regulates that you're getting a gallon of gas. You don't know for sure if your boss is going to fire you tomorrow or not. Based on your experience with him, how you're being treated at work, you know in faith there'll be a job tomorrow. Maybe some of you know in faith there won't be. (laughs) But you know, if you were to find out that a certain gas station was messing with the machinery and giving you just a little bit less each week, or that the gasoline wasn't pure the way it should be, or if you were fired out of the blue, then you would say they broke faith. Wouldn't you use that's an accurate word? They broke faith with me. I'm not going to that gas station anymore. They broke faith. I'm not working for him anymore. He broke faith. (laughs) But we'd use those words. And so the same is with the invisible God. You know by faith he loves you. There's evidence in your life that he cares. Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. That's the kind of love that God gives to everyone. Rondell talked about you can't control your heartbeat. And we know that for certain. Can't control that. Evidence of God's love. And then even more so, the evidence of his atoning sacrifice. His son who came and lived here and died for us. And his word helps us to understand these things. The Word, as we read it and meditate on it, it helps us understand what God is all about, more about Him. And the experiences that we continue to have, because not everything goes right with us. Things often go wrong with us. Physically, we suffer. Mentally, we suffer. Emotionally, we suffer. And it is at those times to say, well, where are you, God? And if we're reading in His Word, we find out where He is. Because the Bible is full of Suffering and pain and promises of persecution sometimes. And as we read it and study it, we find out, well, this is what we are to expect. The experience that you long for a closer relationship with God. The older you get, the more your desire to be with Him is. The more you live in this world, the more you're disturbed by sin. And not necessarily sin of others, but sin in yourself. All these things cause you to say, I know. I've experienced God's love by others giving it to me. And then as I express it to other people, I know. I know God lives in me. Two applications. First application, read and meditate. There's no substitute for this. I've said this so many times. I almost feel like you just, you're not listening anymore, but listen. <laughs> Read, 
meditate on the scripture. When I, when Julie and I counsel marriage problems, when I talk to people who are struggling with their faith, so far in my life, I've never found someone, when I ask this question, how's your, how's your Bible study going? How's your Bible reading going? It's non-existent. They're not reading the Bible. When we're struggling with our faith and when we're struggling with our marriages and our relationships, often, if not always, people just have put it aside. Because that's where God, Satan knows that's where the answer to your faith struggle is. That's the answer. That's the, where the answer to your marriage problem is. That's the answer to your relationship problems is right there. And if he can keep you away from it, you won't find the answer. You won't remember the answer. Meditating on it? Absolutely not. Not when we're struggling like that. The Word of God is powerful. <clears throat> when we read it, what I mean by meditate, just think about it. Take one of those passages and walk around all day long and just think about it over and over. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. We, we, we know what it's going to say. It says the same thing over and over, doesn't it? But look at the Word of God and let it say the same thing over and over to you. It guards us from foolishness, from bad decisions, from being misled. It teaches us how to think. It teaches us how to act. It teaches us how to live. And secondly, we have to obey it. It's not enough just to read it and to meditate on it. That's great. But you've got to get down to the nitty-gritty. Do it. That's what James says. And John says the same thing in chapter 3, verse 18. Flip that up there so I don't have to turn to it. Dear children, little ones, uh, that's that wonderful little word that he's saying, calling you by your nickname here. That's what that is. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Obey it. <clears throat> Let me read a paraphrase from chapter verse 7 on trying to tie this all together. Love ones of God. Let us continually and habitually love one another. For this particular kind of love, God love, emanates and flows out of the very nature of God himself. And all who are actively practicing God love at one point became and are now a part of God's bloodline. We thus continually experience and grow in understanding God. Those whose lives are defined by not loving don't know God because God is love. This is how God demonstrated his love, displaying it openly with the clear light of his, his divine nature, revealing it plainly. He sent his unique, one-of-a-kind son into this hostile and death-ridden world for the express purpose of giving us life so that through him we could live. Here it is, clear as day. God love, not us pouring out our love to God, not at all but that God actually loved us by sending His Son to be a sacrifice that took the penalty of our sins and made all things right once again, justice accomplished and made complete. Dear to God, loved ones of God, since God loved us in such an excessive and intense manner, it goes without saying that we should in turn excessively and intensely express and show God love to one another. You can't see the unseen God. No one ever has. So don't expect God to come and tell you you're all right and you're doing well. However, if we practice God's love with one another, we can be certain that God has made his home in us. We experience the knowledge that he dwells in us. Then each time we show God love, 
God himself says, perfect. That's the way I created you to live. As we live this way, we then know and experience that we're comfortably at home with God and he with us. And it's confirmed by the spirit which he gave us. That's the message of 1 John. Learn how to love. God taught you. God loved you. Now he says, put that into practice. I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, i got a long ways to go. I'm still learning. Be patient with me. And you know that patience is love? Be patient. If you're outside of Christ, and I think already Rondell made that call. If you're outside of Christ, come on in. This is where love is, God love. And we invite you to be a part of that. If you're in Christ and you haven't been loving the way you need to love, then I encourage you to go to one another and learn how to love one another. If you need to come forward, our elders will be here to help you as we stand and as we sing.